Please be seated. Amen. Thank you. Good to be reminded of the the holiness and the mightiness of our uh, Lord, God, and Savior. Uh, I wonder if you've ever had a mountaintop experience. Uh, If you've ever had that high and just you've been so excited and so joyful. Uh, Maybe it was a spiritual moment or maybe it was just something great that happened. Uh, Maybe it was literally uh, that you went and you were able to go uh, to the top of a mountain. Um, mountaintops are great. In fact, we'll probably have a couple groups go out a little later this year because of the, the late spring and the late snows. And uh, we always get a couple groups up, some 14ers in Colorado. But the goal is to get to the top. And uh, there's like 52 of them. And some, it's just something amazing when you get there, right? And you get to look out over everything. And you get to accomplish that. And you have that, that, that feeling of being on top. There's something amazing Uh, about being above the earth or enjoying one of those moments. And as we head into our passage today, I began to think about just the place that mountaintops have in the Bible and how many mountaintops uh, there are that are significant in the Bible. Abraham went and took his son for an ominous hike up a mountaintop and was about to sacrifice him until the Lord stepped in, testing Abraham's faithfulness. Uh, Noah came to rest with the ark on a mountaintop. And then we have Elijah. Elijah uh, was stepping out of a cave on a mountaintop when he heard uh, a whisper of God. Uh, And then who can forget, of course, Moses. Moses went on the mountaintop and got the, the Ten Commandments and spent time with the Lord. And there's a, a term the Bible has that's a little different to describe a mountaintop experience. It's a term the Bible points to as the greatest experience a human being can have, and even the very purpose of our existence. What is that term? Well, I believe that term is this. It is the glory of God. In in the Hebrew, that word glory, um, the idea of glory is the word kabod or kabod, and uh, and doxa in the Greek. It it means uh, to make much of, to bring honor to, to make renowned. Um, It's used as a descriptor to depict splendor, magnificence, brightness, and majesty. And glory must be connected, and the true glory of God is always connected to the fact that he is Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is without blemish. And so his glory is pure and unstained, perfect. And so God's glory is depicted throughout the Bible. In Isaiah 43, 7, it says, We were created for the glory of God, to make him renowned, to make his greatness shine. Uh, Paul tells us in Corinthians, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Paul also tells us in Romans that we are to put our hope in the glory of God. And Jesus' own prayer in John 17, he says, Father, I ask those whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory. That was his prayer. He prayed that we could be with him and see and observe his glory. 
Now, Pastor John Piper, famous author, perhaps has been the best of his generation in capturing this. He says, I'm just overwhelmed and have been for 40 years with the centrality in the Bible of the glory of God. It is presented to us pervasively as the goal of all existence. Uh, He said, it's amazing how the Bible is the language of the glory of God. He says, the Bible is, first of all, quantitatively shot through with glory language. And secondly, it talks about glory as the goal of all things and the hope of every believer. So our ultimate satisfaction consists in seeing the glory of God. One of the uh, commentaries I commonly use um, is Kent Hughes. It's a good uh, pastoral or devotional commentary. And he has a section in it uh, that I came across where he traces some of the glory of God and how it is manifested or shown throughout the scriptures. Um, We see there's this thing called the uh, Shekinah glory or the visible presence of a luminous God. Uh, When you're familiar with the Bible, the Israelites were in Egypt in slavery. And then Moses led them out, and they were led by this pillar, this cloud. This glory of God went before them, and it was spectacular, to say the least, what they walked through. Um, We talked earlier how Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments, and and, uh, he wanted to see the glory of God. And God said, you need to hide yourself in the cleft of the rock. And the Bible describes it as Moses caught a glimpse of the the back of God, putting it in language that we can somehow try to understand. And when he came down off that mountain, the people said there's this effervescent glow about him, uh, coming from him, having been in the presence of God. The tabernacle and the temple, the glory of God shone there. And then there's a period of history where the visible glory of God was gone. People were waiting for the Messiah. The Roman Empire had taken over. And then angels appeared to Mary and Joseph. And then it says to the shepherds, and it says the glory of God shone all around them as the angels announced the birth of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, being fully human and fully God, walked the earth. And there were glimpses of his glory that began to appear. And all of this I've been talking to is a foundation today so that we don't pass over this section of Scripture and think it's just a normal day. Somehow, we've got to get a way of looking at this and and capturing the amazing moment that we're going to encounter today. And if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open up to Mark chapter 9. They're in the Gospels and the New Testament and We've been journeying through the book of Mark, and we took a little break after Easter and talked about heaven. Now we're back in Mark, and we're going until we hit that finish line in August. And so uh, Mark uh, has its counterparts, Matthew and Luke. And we've talked about Mark by way of introduction and reminder that Mark is more of an ancient blogger or an ancient guy who does Instagram. He just posts story after story after story. He doesn't get bogged down in too many details. Whereas Luke is that physician, and he gives us a little bit more details and descriptors. And so today, as I'm reviewing and we're talking about this journey to this mountain, uh, we're going to look and I'll pull in some information from Matthew and from Luke that help us to get a little bigger and broader understanding of what's going on uh, in this Uh, passage. And so Jesus had once again just 
foretold his, his death and resurrection was coming. He had shared this with the disciples, and they were trying to grasp it and understand it. And uh, starting in verse 2 of chapter 9, it says, After six days Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before, him, before them. And so we have these three going on a hike with Jesus. From the other Gospels, we know they went up and they began to pray on the mountainside. And they went up the mountain. Now, if you were to go to Israel, since we have so many climbers and mountain folks here, uh, they would say that it's Mount Tabor is where you could go and visit. They call that the Mount of the Transfiguration. And that's about 1,886 feet. So maybe we would call it a hill um, instead of a high mountain. Now some say it's possible it could have been Mount Hermon in the area, which is about 9,200 feet, and it is closer to Caesarea Philippi, which is where uh, an a-, a region which some of these stories were taking place in. And so it was probably one of those two mountains uh, from that time. And uh, when they got to the top, we read in the other Gospels that they fell into a deep sleep. Now, I don't know whether it was because of prayer. Now, sometimes when I'm praying, you can get sleepy, but not next week, right, during the, during the service. But uh, they fell into a deep sleep. And when they awoke, they found Jesus transfigured before them. And so, as they get this, they, it describes it like this. Uh, he says in verse 3, Jesus' clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. So, sorry for Tide and their commercials. Uh, they can't get it that white. And there's this idea that, this idea of transfigured, it's this word of morphing. And our movies try to capture it today. You, you see it, and they have light shining through a figure on the movie. But to see that in person is different than to see it on a screen. You know, I was thinking, what have I seen that's even close to this? If you've ever watched fireworks or a lightning storm and been near, near the water or seen it reflect and you're sitting next to somebody in the pitch dark and there's lightning or a firework that goes off, there's a glow. That just In that one moment, boom, they glow in that light. And perhaps that gives us a little taste of what it was like. And, and we know that Moses perhaps had a glow like this where when people were like, there's something radiant about you and coming out from you. Jesus, they knew it was him, but he looked different. Uh, better than any special effect could ever come up with. Dazzling and amazing. And it filled them with awe and wonder at what had gone on. They were catching a glimpse of God's glory in their own presence. The glory of God being shown before them. It's the same glory they, they probably read about in the scriptures. And wondered what, what Moses had, had looked like at that point. Or what it was like to see that pillar to be where when the temple was filled with the glory of God. But then something else strange happened. Maybe after they looked at Jesus they began to look and there were two others there. I don't know if you've ever been in the airport or on airplanes and somebody nudges you and they're like, look over there. Is, is that Tom Cruise? <laughs> I, I've never met him in person, but it looks just like him. Or if, for, for me, I've run into more athletes are the ones I notice. I'm like, so I've seen Joe Theismann. Is that Joe Theismann on the plane? No, he's too short. Couldn't have been him. Or Bill Russell was the most famous athlete we saw and 
it was him in the airport. And we're like, I think that's him. We went and approached him. said, yes, I am Bill Russell. I lost my luggage. So we knew not to ask for an autograph that day. But um, I don't know. This is what strikes me here. This, I read the Bible. I read this and it says, And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. How on earth did they know that it was Moses and Elijah? They didn't have photographs back then. Now, Elijah, maybe they could have guessed based on the clothing and the description of him. They said, is that Elijah? Is that John the Baptist? But Moses, did Jesus introduce them? Did they listen? Uh, These are the kind of things I wonder how that went down because we just get a little snapshot of this. But when they did understand who it was, they were in awe and they, they were terrified at what was happening. And we're getting a little snapshot here and I'm laying down a lot of biblical history for you. And we have to ask, why these two men? Why are these the two that showed up on the mountain? Uh, why not David? Why not King David? Uh, why not Noah? What is it about these two men? Well, we know that Moses led the Exodus. He led them out of Egypt. He led them out of slavery. He got the Ten Commandments, the, the law of the Lord, and the law and the sacrifices were established to show there's a cost for sin. That God is holy, holy, holy. And that to be in his presence, to have a relationship with him, there's a payment that needs to be made for it. And the blood flowed from the animals and the sacrifices and the fragrances were all there to show how we deal with sin in our lives. And, and how the Israelites were to deal with sin and get their hearts right with the Lord. And then Elijah was a prophet of prophets, bold and brave. Uh, calling out sin Standing up even to the leaders of that day, calling the people of Israel uh, to worship and calling out their lack of faith in the one true God. Elijah never died. He was swept up in a chariot before Elisha took over his ministry. And Elijah is the very one that they were all looking for and wondering uh, earlier in the Gospel of Mark, is Elijah still to come? And Jesus is trying to teach them it. He has come. It's John the Baptist, and that will come up here in our passage today. So Elijah and Moses, two key figures in the history of Israel. They came down to be with Jesus. And I like how Peter begins to figure out a little bit of what's happening here and uh, kind of states the obvious. I think it's good that we're here today. Uh, I'm kind of a guy who has historically talked first and then realized what I've said later. Some people are more measured with their words. And uh, Peter is one of those. He just said, it is good we are here. Like, well, duh. (laughs) Of course it's good that you're there. And yet Peter himself then says, you know what, this is so good. Let's pitch a tent and let's just stay here and bask in this moment. Because he didn't know what to say. So he just kept talking until hopefully something good came out. I've learned to do a little bit more preparation than that. But uh, what were they talking about? Well, they were talking about, it tells us 
they were talking about Jesus' departure, it tells us in the other Gospels. And we don't know, but the, the Greek word, the phrasing there, it tends to indicate a longer conversation. So the disciples were in a deep sleep. They woke up. The conversation was perhaps ongoing. And they were talking with Jesus about his departure. And that word departure is exodus. Well, who do better to tell him about leading us out of our sin and our slavery than Moses, who led the people out of their slavery? Jesus came to lead us out of our slavery, to sin, to release us, to, to complete the law, to give the sacrifice that is once and for all, which is himself. And they came to talk with him about what he was about to walk through, the trial, the cross, the time in the grave, and then the resurrection. That was the departure Jesus was talking with them about. The plan that Elijah had pointed forward to the very Messiah himself that Elijah had pointed to and that John the Baptist had been the forerunner of. It's an amazing moment as they begin to talk about that and Jesus begins to set his eyes towards Jerusalem. Well, Peter here makes that, that plea to stay there and then it's at that moment in verse 7, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And so, this is much like, in parallels, when Jesus was baptized, and, and the cloud appears, and the voice of God booms out and said, This is my beloved son. And here he gives us uh, a command to go with that. And the scene, it goes from, I, I want you to catch this, it goes from this unbelievable, Jesus is transfigured, he's glowing, bright white, beams coming out from him. There's Moses and Elijah there. And then they hear the voice of God. This mountaintop thing went from good to great to absolutely awesome. And when you hear the voice of God from all we read in Scripture, your knees tremble, you fall down, and you just worship. That's all you can do. And what does God say? My beloved son, listen to him. Not hear him, not just read about him, but listen. Take in what he says and respond to it and do it. And so I wonder this morning, do we listen to Jesus? Do we follow this command today to listen to Jesus? We can read about him, study about him, but do we look at his words and then on a Sunday morning even go out and apply them to our lives? Do we listen to him during the week? Do we take time to be with him during the week? To pray, to get in the scriptures? It would seem that if God's going to speak... During Jesus' ministry, and he's telling these three leaders of the disciples something important, we should listen to it too. Three simple words, listen to him. <laughs> Do we listen to him? Do we respond? He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is real. <laughs> he's a real human being that walked this earth. 
And we've looked at the fact that heaven is real. We talked about that for a month. Heaven is real. The glory of God is indescribable, but it is real, and it's everything we long for. And Jesus is the only way to heaven, but he's also the only way to live life. He's the one we're to follow and to emulate and become more like him, each and every one of us. He gives us that path to walk, and he also gives us the opportunity to be difference makers in this world. And not just have eternal life, but to have a meaningful, impactful life that brings him glory. The very fact that we can bring God glory blows my mind. How can I bring him glory? It's, it's humbling. So Jesus now turned from that mountaintop and he headed towards his mission, towards his departure, dying on the cross. And on the way down, here's what he began to share with these men. Uh, he says this in verse 9, And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how, it is, how is it written, the Son of Man, that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they did them whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. So he's saying, as it is written of Elijah, this happened, and it will be the same as it was written of me. I will have to suffer. He was helping them so that once the shocking events would take place, they would have a foundation to go back to, and the Holy Spirit would remind them of these conversations. And to point them back there, uh, whenever they're wondering what on earth has happened with Jesus dying. They had assumptions about how it would go with Elijah and Moses being there, and it made them perhaps even more excited that Jesus was going to come down from the mountain and finally defeat Rome, finally establish his kingdom. Uh, the excitement was filling them, I'm sure. But then Jesus begins to talk about rising from the dead. Does that mean he's going to die and and they began to struggle with that. Yet I think we're all too often very quick to move from that mountaintop and just head down the hill and move on with life. And yet, around the world today, I think many people are going to have mountaintop experiences. There are people ascending peaks right now. Um, somebody might find this week that they win the lottery. Somebody might fall in love today. Someone might get married today Somebody may be finally making that great purchase they've been waiting to make. It's going to make them feel good. It's going to be an exciting moment. They've worked to earn it. New children are being born in the world today. That's a mountaintop experience. What joy that is. And of course, somebody's on a river this week probably, today, catching the catch of a lifetime. The biggest fish they've ever had. Somebody might get a hole in one today. Have that feeling, that exhilaration. And some may even have a great worship gathering today and leave with that emotional high and feel closer to God than perhaps maybe even they ever have. And I want to tell you this morning that we need mountaintop experiences. <laughs> we, we need this. Jesus was encouraged and strengthened on this mountaintop, and so were the disciples. You see, 
mountaintop experiences are, are a gift from our Heavenly Father. And I, I believe uh, that they're designed, uh, they're designed to give us a picture and a glimpse of God, who God is and what he has done in our lives. And so uh, they can spur us on even to a spiritual awakening or a revival. For you, it may have been a mountaintop experience you had that turned you from a time of just deadness and dryness spiritually to getting back on track and leading your family or encouraging your spouse. It may have been a mountaintop experience that initially brought you to the Lord. And yet we need these. On one on one extreme, people seek mountaintop after mountaintop, and it just becomes all about emotionalism, and everything's about, ah, I want to feel it this way every week. If I don't feel it, God's not there. And the problem is, when you get down in the valleys, as we'll see in a couple weeks returning to this passage, when you hit the valley, your faith is really going to struggle. You think God is only there on the mountaintop. But then there are those who... Uh, take God's words and, and we digest them and study them and parse them apart and, and eliminate any emotion possible so that uh, we don't have to deal with that uncomfortableness or we think it's not genuine or we don't want to rely on that. And in the midst of these extremes, I think we weren't meant to miss out on this opportunity of mountaintops. And much like Peter wanted to do, he wanted to pitch the tent and stay there. But we're not meant to camp there. But it doesn't mean we're not meant to have these times. Mountaintops are important moments along the journey, but mountaintops are not permanent destinations. They're not a permanent destination. These moments point to something better. They give us a glimpse. I think they fuel us reminding us of heaven, giving us a taste of what Jesus has in store for us. And I think that's what God the Father was doing. He's giving Jesus a gift. Think about what Jesus was coming down to do off that mountaintop, what he was about to face. How encouraging it was it for God to give him that gift of Moses and Elijah to talk with him, uh, to relate to him like no one on earth could at the time about the journey he's about to take. And then that Verbal encouragement of the Heavenly Father speaking out loud over his son. I am proud of you. You are my beloved son. You need to listen to him. You know that if you have a parent or somebody you respect or love that speaks out over you. When they say that to others and they say, I, I love this guy. I love this girl. You feel it inside of you. And Jesus being fully human God was supplying him and fueling him and saying, I am with you through this horrible path you're about to walk. But remember, it is worth it. Remember the history. You're, the, you're coming to the culmination, this climax of this story I've been building since the beginning of time. And so he was fueled by the Heavenly Father. Uh, getting a glimpse of that glory he set aside in order to pay for our sins. And the disciples, once again, they were refueled in following him. They got to see Jesus transfigured. They, they got to, even though it was puzzling, they got to see these two historical figures they'd only read about. Think about that moment. If there were any doubt in them, that moment, they're like, everything we read about Moses is true. He is real. Elijah is real. He's not just 
a part of our traditions. He's a person. We've seen him. Jesus is really the son of God. We heard the voice. We saw the cloud. He is who he says he is. We should be following him. That had to strengthen them, even though they were confused. And so, that moment, that realization, I I think for us, the journey with Jesus is a day-by-day walking in his footsteps. It's walking through doubt, walking through our wrong choices, frustrations, and pains. But it's also walking through times of answered prayer. Uh, Times of celebration and renewal and joy. And joy-filled worship services. And times where you show up at church and that song just hits you where you're at. And you're like, oh, that just filled my spirit. Times when the Word of God and you open it and it, and it ministers to your heart right where you're at. But also times that don't move you so much. And there are moments that give us a taste of, uh, taste of His glory and goodness. And it, it could literally be out in nature, gazing on the mountains or the ocean at the wonder of creation and reflecting back on how God's been in your life over time, or answer prayers recalling them, allowing that to fuel you. It could be just having a grateful heart in the fun moments of summertime, stopping and just saying, thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, seeing and celebrating and being with your kids. You see, already I look out here at Incline, and we've had these mountaintop moments as we walk through life together. And... Uh, whether it's a joy we share together of things happening in our lives or answered prayers that we've seen, or as we've gone through this journey of Jesus showing up in unexpected ways and people giving towards this ministry unexpectedly to, to help us have that longevity and consistency to gain trust in this neighborhood and community. See, we have a good, good father who knew his son needed that jolt emotionally and spiritually as he headed towards the cross. And the Bible tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from our Heavenly Father. And so this morning, I think we need to stop and reflect and say our good Heavenly Father, uh, He continues to give us good gifts. He is the giver of good gifts. He is the one that gives us the gift of mountaintops. And we need to cherish those because we're going to need them. There are going to be moments in the world where we need them. You know, and I've balanced, and I've never really been on the emotional side of the perspective too long, but I've had to learn and grow in my own walk, personally, for, for me to, to realize it's okay and it's exciting when God shows up, and you need to celebrate that. That's why we say discover joy. It's okay to walk in joy, to, to, to be thankful and to be happy and to celebrate with the Lord. Even this morning as I was doing my devotion time, it said, think about all the celebrations that God commanded to the people of God. He wants us to celebrate. He knows we need fuel for the journey in this broken world. And so we need to Stop and enjoy that this morning. Because of Jesus, we need to realize that you're loved. You're worthy. You're forgiven. You are accepted. You can be transformed and changed. You can get a taste of God's glory and your prayers are heard and your waiting for prayers to be answered is seen and known. Your pain is known, 
but your life is useful and your mission is before you and joy is indeed possible because of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the gift of mountaintops. (laughs) You knew exactly what Jesus needed heading into this final turn of his ministry. You knew the encouragement and he needed, and you know what we need. And you've gifted each of us uh, to minister to one another, uh, to build each other up. And sometimes it just feels good to see you answer prayer, to see an outreach come together as it did yesterday, or to come together and to hear people use their gifts and even to sing together corporately. Uh, Hearing that often lifts my spirits to pray for one another. You've given us all of these good gifts, Lord. The gifts of children and the joy of this summer season in our culture and the opportunity that some may have to travel or to get outdoors. All of these are gifts from you, and yet if we don't acknowledge it, we're missing out. And all of those are meant to fuel us in our mission, just as Christ was fueled for his and the disciples for theirs. You want us to get a glimpse of your glory so that we know that striving with you, sharing the gospel, following and listening and obeying your word, it's all more than worth it if it brings you glory. And what an amazing Father you are that you would even let us taste of your glory and get glimpses of it in one another and in these opportunities we have. Lord, I pray as we enter into the summer, we wouldn't just be going, 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 but we'd stop and enjoy and thank you for the gifts you've given us. Take account for the small, the big, the emotional, the tangible, everything in between and say thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us because you indeed are such a good father to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we...